text today, which comes from Acts 2. And uh, last week we read um, the events of the Spirit coming in the apostles, speaking in tongues, and we connected, I, we looked at Ephesians 2 and the unity that the Holy Spirit brings. And now I'm going to look at Peter's sermon after Pentecost. So looking, picking up actually at verse 12 here. So look at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start actually verse 12 because I wanted to include the audience's, the crowd's response before Peter speaks. So it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give, give ear to my word. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the, to, through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my, my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. An amazing event followed by powerful preaching. And uh, he didn't have a week to, uh, to prepare <laughs> for that. That was just the Holy Spirit giving Peter the words to say right then and there. And, but Peter, he used Scripture to confirm, well, to, to explain Pentecost to a confused and perplexed crowd. And we see from this here with the truth God's word reveals what God has done so that we may respond in faith. And in this case, God, God's word reveals what God did on the day of Pentecost and why that matters to us still today. And without the word of God, without the word of the prophets, the apostles, without the word of God, signs and wonders are just weird phenomena and then there's nothing for us to do about them. But with God's word, well, then we are confronted with the presence of God. And we must respond to what we have seen and heard. The main truth that Peter communicates here is that Jesus is the Christ. His conclusion, verse 36, says, Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. In other words, you know, look at God's word of prophecy fulfilled. Look at the signs during his ministry. Look at his resurrection. Look at the, the pouring out of his Holy Spirit. These confirm the truth. Jesus is the Christ. So first we have the prophecies of Joel in verses 17 through 21. And these foretold that Pentecost must come. God will pour out his spirit upon 
all nationalities, on male and female, young and old, even on the lowliest people. It's this gracious, overflowing gift. And the Spirit will show up with this gift. It will show up in prophecy, in visions, in dreams. But he also warns of a day of judgment that will come. But promises you this, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does Pentecost mean? God is pouring out his spirit. God's word foretold that Pentecost must occur, and now it has occurred. What will you do? Then Peter uses scripture to show that Pentecost confirms that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22 reminds us that God had confirmed already that Jesus was the Christ through signs and wonders during his ministry. And the, these signs were well known to the public. They, they were undeniable. And if the Jews didn't respond to those signs with faith, then that means they were rejecting them. And if they're rejecting them, that, that is, reveals stubbornness. Stubbornness of a hard heart. In other words, you know, basic computers go, hey, you've seen the signs. God's word has revealed the truth to you. What more do you need? What more are you waiting for? What are you holding out for? And many people today should be asking themselves that same question. If you refuse to see the truth after all this, then what does that say about the condition of your own heart? In verse 23, Peter reminded them what they did to Jesus. The Jews had him crucified for claiming to be the Christ. And many people today respond with similar hostility. As you know, I don't have to tell you. And why, are the, why is it hostility? Because Jesus is Lord and Christ. That means he has authority over you, authority to morally judge you. And our human nature, our natural response, is we rebel against that. Our natural impulse is to push him away, say, get out of my life. I don't want you as my judge. And many tried back then to justify themselves to Jesus, especially the religious leaders. They would try to justify themselves to Jesus with Scripture, but they bent it and twisted it to justify themselves. And many do this today. But God always has the final say, and he will not tolerate anyone twisting his word to justify their own sins. And Jesus, when that happened in, in the Gospels, he rebuked them with Scripture, and he showed them their sins with Scripture. But instead of, of turning to God to, to ask for mercy, to find mercy, they tried to silence the truth by having Jesus killed. God foreknew this, and he planned for it so that he could raise Jesus from the dead. The Jews knew Jesus had died. The Jews on this day, when Peter's sermon, they, they knew he had died. They knew the tomb was empty. The question is, why was it empty? 
they have to offer an explanation for it somehow. And Peter shows that, hey, the prophecies of King David, they show that the Christ would rise from the dead. Verse 27, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. His body will not decompose. So even if he dies, he will not remain dead. And, and this gave David hope. I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's so great that Peter chose to quote so much of that psalm, not just that one little snippet. He quotes the, David's whole state of mind. David had hope. He remained stable. He wasn't shaken, even during trouble, because God's presence was with him. His heart was glad. He spoke joyfully. His body rested peacefully because he had a confident hope and expectation about the future. He knew even if he died, his soul would not be abandoned. God had revealed to him the way of life. God's presence made him full of gladness. And if you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives in you and this Gladness and peace and stability is yours, is with you each day. It's a hope against all the troubles in this world, even a hope against death. And then by the Holy Spirit of God, David foresaw the resurrection of the Christ. And now Jesus, who was very clearly claimed to be the Christ, has been raised from the dead. Verse 32, Peter testified, we all are witnesses of his resurrection. In, in other words, God foretold it, God did it, and we saw it. And God has confirmed us as his witnesses by pouring out his spirit upon us. And he's done it in a manner that, that you all have seen through this miraculous sign. You've seen it. And the Jews cannot deny what they have seen. They cannot deny that these are disciples of Jesus claiming that he has been raised from the dead. So now will they really be so stubborn as to keep on denying that Jesus is the Christ? And Peter had one more nail to hammer home. Verse 33, Jesus was exalted. Now, we read in the Gospels and the first chapter of Acts, after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he was exalted to the right hand of God. So he has authority and power to govern everything that is under God's sovereign rule and to distribute the gifts of God. God the Father has authorized Jesus to give the Holy Spirit to his followers. In the Gospel of Luke, if we look back in the early part of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke records the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And the voice of God the Father spoke, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It was a public sign that the Holy Spirit of God rested upon Jesus and was sent upon him by God the Father. That was the public sign. Now we come to after the resurrection, the exaltation of Jesus. 
That, that's not something any human eye can see. No, no human eye, we can't see the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God the Father. But Scripture confirms it. The prophecies of David confirm that the Christ would be exalted. Psalm 110, which Peter quotes here, foretold that the Lord would exalt my Lord. And the one that David called my Lord is the Christ. And he would be, a given, he would be given authority at the right hand of God the Father. God the Father, the Lord Almighty, he's saying to the Christ, come to my right hand. And this authority will be his until all his enemies are subjugated. So, prophecy foretold the Christ's exaltation and authority. The Holy Spirit has been poured out publicly with signs in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus is the Christ exalted with authority. That means authority to send the Holy Spirit and authority to overcome all his enemies. Jesus is the Christ, and we cannot ignore this any more than the Jews could. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is the Christ, and you crucified him. The second truth that Peter declares here is you have sinned against God. And for the Jews, this was inescapable. Despite all the signs and prophecies, they had rejected and killed Jesus for claiming to be the Christ. But it was true. He really was the Christ. And now they see how lost they are. Their hearts were hard and blind and even murderous. They had made themselves enemies of Christ. And now he has authority to judge and punish. And this truth applies to us because we have sinned against God. Now, we, we didn't literally nail him to the cross, although neither did the Jews. They got the Romans to do it for him. But we all have sin in our lives. We all have ways that we have broken God's law. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And most everybody, everyone knows this is true, even if they won't admit it to themselves. I mean, few are so proud and foolish as to claim that they have no sin at all. It takes, a, it takes a lot of foolish pride to claim that about yourself. But when we are, what do we do when we're confronted with our sin? Well, the old human nature is the natural impulse is to excuse it or to justify it. Try to claim, well, I'm a special exception. It's not wrong when I do it. Or we refuse to see it. No, I, just, I, won't, even, I won't even look at that. I won't even acknowledge it. Or, or we just refuse to let go of it. And this condemns us more than anything because 
God, he corrects us with gentleness and kindness, but also with authority and with truth. And if, and if when he does this, our natural impulse is to reject his correction, that shows that we have a heart problem. It's more than just, hey, I've done something wrong. I have a heart problem. And we need to be saved from ourselves. And God, he showed us what, what is perfect love and righteousness and holiness. He showed us this in his word. He showed us in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the light sent to save us from the darkness, to save us from the darkness in us. And if we refuse to see the light and come to him, then we doom ourselves. And this is what Jesus spoke of in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So it's this hardness of heart, this refusal to see God's goodness and turn to it is what, is what keeps us captive in sin and destroys us or will ultimately destroy us. And we, we're helpless against our own hearts. How do, you, how do you fight the darkness within you if you are dark? And the Jews on this day, they felt that despair. Verse 37, they heard and they were cut to the heart. They cried out, what shall we do? And notice this happened when they heard the word of God. God's word broke through their hard hearts and showed them the truth that Jesus is the Christ and they have sinned against him. And even after becoming a follower of Christ, you will feel cut to the heart at times because none of us has reached perfection, yet there are always things, there's still sins we can repent of. But for the Christian, the despair is gone because you know that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins and he makes you new. In Jesus you are forgiven and you are made new. And the question is how do we receive this forgiveness? How does he make us new? Well, Peter said, repent. Turn from your evilness, your evil ways and turn to God. And th this is a a deep thing. This is an inner change of the heart that is decisive for the whole person in all your ways. You are saying to yourself, you are admitting, hey, I, I once believed that and I lived that way. What, you know, whatever the particular sin is that God's word has shown you that you need to repent of. You know, but now that I know Jesus, I see that what I believed was wrong and even wicked and therefore the way I lived, those things that I did were wicked. Repentance always involves faith. It's never apart from faith because, because to change your mind about what is wrong, you have to be shown what is good and true. And a heart that has not felt its guilt will not have any desire for salvation. What, what, do, you want? what do you want to be saved from? You, 
If you don't even know, if you can't see you've done anything wrong, why would you desire to be saved? So every Christian has experienced this repentance. Now, your, your story may not be as dramatic as, I was once a violent drug addict, but now I'm a new man. I mean, if that is your story, praise God. But for most people, that's not your story. And it's not the dramaticness of, of the feeling. It's the knowledge, the experiential knowledge that your sins are great. That is what every Christian has experienced at some point. The knowledge that God's word has shown you, your sins are great and you need salvation. And repentance is also, it's a dying of the old heart. And of course, dying <laughs> is uncomfortable. The dying of your, your heart, of your old ways and old thinking, that, that is uncomfortable. But the new life Jesus plants in you is joy and it is peace and it is life growing and flowing out. And, and hand in hand with repentance is baptism. In baptism, Jesus washes away the old sinful nature and he plants in you the new nature the new heart. Baptism separates your sins from you and casts them away, infinitely away from you. And Jesus washes you clean. He restores you to a holy life. And he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit in you. And, I, and I'd like us here to imagine what these words would have meant for those people on that day. And then, so I'm going to do a bit of role playing. I'm going to be both Peter and the audience here. So they, the, the audience, they've seen the miraculous signs. They've been shown through scripture that Jesus is the Christ. Then they've been shown they have sinned against God. And so they cry out to Peter, what do we do, Peter? What do we do? And Peter says to them, repent. Okay, repent. Makes sense, you know, if you want mercy, you gotta stop sinning. Okay, I, I got it, you know, okay, makes sense. Well, then he says, be baptized. For the Jews, they would say, oh, okay, yep, makes a ritual cleansing from sin, got it, it makes sense. And then Peter adds on, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ. And for the, for the audience, I think that would have been, wait, wait, baptized, into Jesus, like that's more than just a ritual bath, that into him, like I'm, like in him, he washes me clean, he's the one that cleanses me from sin, I'm now connected with him, wait, whoa, I'm connected with the Holy One of God, I belong to him and he to me, that's a lot more than I, than I was expecting. Then Peter says, for the remission of sins, Imagine the audience, you know, wait, he, he completely removes my sins. That, that's a lot more than just a ritual bath. That means that that's like being given my pardon before I've even gone to trial. It's, it's even better than that. It means my sins have been separated from me so that if I'm put on trial, no, I'd be declared innocent. My sins have nothing to do with me. They're gone. At this point, the crowd, <laughs> this is good news. Peter, but Peter's not done. He says, wait, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And remember, this is the crowd that had just watched the Holy Spirit poured out and been convinced they're enemies of God. They're saying, wait, wait, Peter, real, for sure. Like, 
The Holy Spirit of God, he's going to pour it out on me like he has on you and all the disciples. Like, you're his followers. I'm his enemy. He's going to pour it out on me as he did with you. Are, are you sure? And Peter says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That means far off spiritually, enemies, all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Imagine the audience. Yes, hallelujah, this, this is for me. It's for me, it's for my children. It's, it's for those people from Cyrene and from Rome and from Persia. God is saving us. And verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls heard the word. They repented of their sins. They were baptized into the name of Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit. Now I want to point out what is not mentioned in that scripture is that there's no mention that any of those 3,000 spoke in tongues that day. The, the coming of the Holy Spirit, it, it's not, that's not his purpose to give you the gift of tongues. That was a sign so that more may believe. But the presence of the Holy Spirit, he's there. That has to do with what we read earlier in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Jesus removes that heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh in his followers and all who call upon his name. He puts in you his Holy Spirit so that you have a change of heart so that you willingly and cheerfully follow his ways and obey his statutes, obey his word. And we consider all this, Jesus is the savior for our our deepest need. He is the Holy One. When we are far from God, He shows us the way to God. When we are spiritually blind, He shows us our sin and leads us to repentance. His words are spirit and life, and by them He gives us faith to believe His promise. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He saves you by joining you to Himself in baptism. His death takes away your sin. His resurrection gives you eternal life. So even if you die, you will live forever. And Christ is exalted with all authority to give you his gifts and fill you with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit abides in us and keeps us forever. He is your constant friend and counselor. He makes known to you the paths of life. He makes you full of gladness with his presence. If you have called upon him, then all this is yours. And if you have not, why not? He is calling you to turn to him today. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word here, which is recorded for all time to know this great thing you've done, pouring out your spirit upon your disciples to give us a new heart to, to 
cure us from our, the dark and wicked and stubborn heart that we start out with and, and give us a new heart in Christ Jesus so that we turn from our ways and turn to righteousness and follow you and live in the joy and gladness of you and your presence and your ways. And pray that you would strengthen our faith today and encourage us, comfort us with the love and grace of Jesus Christ who forgives our sins and washes us clean and fill us with the joy of your presence today. Amen.